Today's podcast session is supported by Uphill. So if you ask a therapist who's doing clinical work what the bane of their existence is, usually progress notes are in the top one to two. I'm not naming any names, but when I was doing clinical work, I remember I had several colleagues who would get so backed up on clinical notes, so they would end up spending their nights and weekends trying just to catch up. Honestly, who wants to do that? And this is where Appeal comes in. Appeal is AI-powered case notes. Now, I know for many of us, when we hear the word AI, we're, there's like a natural skepticism. And honestly, I had that skepticism as well until I got to meet with the Appeal team and learn about some of the many ways that they are doing this in a way that is HIPAA compliant and also doesn't sell data to anyone and also protects our clients as well. You can learn more about Uphill and the awesome work that they're doing in the world uh, by going to sellingthecouch.com forward slash Uphill. And Uphill is uh, spelled U-P and then H-E-A-L, all one word. And at checkout, be sure to enter the promo code COUCH25, C-O-U-C-H, and the number 25 to get 25% off your Uphill plan for the first two months. Hey friends, we are on sabbatical from the STC podcast. This is my first sabbatical in seven years, but we will be back in April with brand new episodes of the STC podcast. In the meantime, there are a lot of things happening still with STC. Uh, Among them is a brand new workshop that we put together for you that you can sign up at a date and time that works for you. If you are a successful private practitioner and interested in launching an online course, you can check out that workshop over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash online course workshop. Again, that's sellingthecouch.com forward slash online course workshop. Hello, hello. Welcome to session 201 of Selling the Couch. Hope you are having an awesome day. Today's podcast conversation is all about creating a conference that boosts our message and our brand. My guest today is Mercedes Samudio. Mercedes is a licensed clinical social worker. If you have been in the online space, uh, especially among therapist groups, imagine you have seen Mercedes' name. Mercedes has done a lot of good work uh, when it comes to parenting. She has a great book called Shameproof Parenting. And then she also is putting together a conference called the Diversity in Parenting Conference, which you can learn more about diversityinparentingconference.com. And so the conference, the purpose is basically to explore the diverse ways that we as clinicians work with parents and families. And so there are a number of guests and uh, a number of speakers and all sorts of things happening that I think that you will really enjoy and encourage you to check out. It's happening in September in Anaheim, California, September 13th and 14th, 2019. But uh, for our podcast conversation today, Mercedes is taking us behind the scenes of what it takes to put together a conference of this magnitude. This is actually the first time that Mercedes is putting together this conference, and you'll learn a lot of different things. I I learned a ton of stuff along the way, and I'm excited to share it with you, Uh, specifically some of the things that it takes in terms of planning. How far in advance do you plan a conference? Um, Why did Mercedes pick a conference? 
to share her message versus some other medium? Why did she choose to do an actual live conference versus some sort of, you know, like a a webinar or something like that. Um, How did Mercedes go about selecting speakers for her conference? How did she figure out fees for the conference? And then we wrap up with what are some of the biggest lessons that Mercedes learned along the way? This is a really a great episode, especially maybe you don't want to think about a conference, but maybe you're thinking about something small like a workshop. And I think this would definitely even resonate for you. Before we get to today's podcast session, I just wanted to take a moment to thank today's podcast supporter, which is the Selling the Couch directory. The Selling the Couch directory actually came from a simple idea, just a simple wish to make it easier for us to connect to one another as private practitioners. And so it allows us to cross-refer clients to find clinical consultation for tough cases to also be able to advertise unique niches and specializations that we work with as clinicians. You can learn more about the STC directory over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash directory. So we'll get right to today's podcast conversation. Here's my conversation with Mercedes Samudio from diversityinparentingconference.com. Hey, Mercedes, welcome to Selling the Couch, or welcome back, I should say. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for having me. I'm so grateful that we're having this conversation because I feel like there are a lot of us that want to create a conference, host a conference, and but many of us may not know where to even get started. And so I'm excited for just a glimpse of what this whole process looks like. (laughs) I wanted to start kind of at the beginning, which is what made you create a conference that as a way to kind of share your message. So the work that I do, being a parent coach and working in that capacity, I started to notice just every time online or live conference happened that focused on parenting or parenting professionals or the mental health aspect of parenting, it was very homogeneous. There was no diversity. There was nobody showing, there was no lineup that reflected the diversity of families that are out there and the different identities and systems that families share. And that was something that was really hard for me because being an African-American parent coach out in this world, I know how important it is when families see that there is someone who looks like them and may identify similar to them working with them and working in that same field to support and help. And so that was that first initial kind of, okay, somebody needs to do something because where's the diversity? Where's the different types of families represented? Where's the different types of experts and identities of experts represented? And when I said, okay, somebody needs to do something, I posted in one of my other groups on Facebook, someone was like, well, why don't you do something? Why don't you be that somebody? And that kind of started the wheels turning of, can I actually put on a conference? (laughs) Yeah. So I hear two things. One is you used your experience as a parent coach to kind of see, like there was a disconnect between the information that was available and what you were seeing, Mm -hmm. right? And so you use that as inspiration and then, and then, and then you posted in this Facebook group and then someone said, why don't you be that person? So usually for me, when someone calls me out or tells me, why don't you do it? Either I'm going to be like terrified, like, Mm -hmm. no, I am not going to be the one. Or I'm going to be like, you know what? I can do it. What made you take that mindset of, you know what? Maybe this is my calling and this is a way that I'm going to share my message. That, you know, I think when the person said that, the first thing I thought was I'll do an online webinar conference. You know, I've Mm -hmm. done those before. They're easy. 
I know how to do them. And then I said, you know what? I want to do something bigger. I want to actually make a statement about how important it is to really show this representation and this diversity and inclusion of our experts as well as the topics. And I felt like if, I mean, the first time I do it needs to be not just online, but it needs to be somewhere where people can actually come. People can actually interact, can talk, can network, and really have us a place to say, this is a real thing that we need to be addressing, we need to be talking about. And it should not just be online only, it should be out in the world. This should be a new thing that we actually begin to have discussions on in the world, especially because, and I'm sure you relate to this, there's more than just affluent white women who parent. And for them to kind of be the ones who take over that space feels like somebody should say something. Somebody should just kind of come out and say, yes, this this is helpful. And yes, you know, learn from your strategies and your branding, but we need to have an actual physical space to show that diversity and inclusion matter. And especially in my wheelhouse of the parenting world, it matters. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, at a practical level for me, like this has been, it's been neat to see you create this because, you know, for me, I, I knew that, you know, when Chloe was born, I wanted to be a very active parent, you know, and part of that meant some very tough decisions. So like one big tough decision was I pulled out um, doing like business related stuff on Fridays. And so Fridays are daddy daughter days. And for me, it's been interesting, like as a, you know, as a second generation Indian male parenting a daughter, right? And so, yeah, it has been interesting trying to like navigate it all. And and yeah, I don't know that I had particularly anything insightful other than it's just, it's been a unique experience. And even trying to find information, it's it's been like, uh, where do I find this, you know? Yes. And that's something that is really important to me because I've been doing this work, wow, for a really long time, since 2007. I've realized that we tend to marginalize different identities when it comes to the parenting journey, right? Mm -hmm. We tend to only see certain types of families shown, you know, usually heterosexual families, usually two-parent households, usually um, a certain particular culture or race is always kind of dominant and present. And then you look around and there's so many different types of identities and systems in this world. You know, there's so many types of families that have been created, whether it be biologically or through adoption or foster care. And those families are not always showing up in the world, but they need help, but they need support. And I think we've all learned that when we see someone who looks like us, identifies with us, understand some of the same systemic issues that we're working with, it just helps us to reach out and say, maybe I can get help because this person may have a little bit more insight into what it feels like to be in my identity, in my skin color, in my cultural you know, understanding, in my socioeconomic status, like just certain things that make you feel connected to somebody. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's always reflected in the mental health world, but also I don't think it's always reflected in the parenting world and the family health world where a lot of people need help, but they don't see anyone who looks like them. And so sometimes they might stay hidden for that reason. So interesting. It's such a needed, needed conference. Mm-hmm. I wanted to uh, shift a little bit and, and talk sort of about the practical aspects of, yeah. of this conference and putting it together. So Really silly question. <laughs> How far in advance do you like have to plan for something like this? Because yeah. I mean, I saw the number of speakers, like, you know, the different like topics that are like, how far? Well, I'm going to come from my perspective because I'm sure that there's a 
guidelines and ABCD, <laughs> but that's not what I have done. I started last November. What is that? We've been, we're six months in, so eight months ago I started because for me, I really wanted to make sure that I could give myself enough time, especially with it being my first time, to really plan everything, talk to the different venues, talk to the different vendors, talk to the speakers, make sure that everything logistically was going to make as much sense as it could. And then also because it was my first time really helping people to learn about who, what the conference is, who this conference is for, really helping people to drum up like that hype and that excitement for it. Because I think it takes a while for people to realize something new is being offered, something new is out there for them to access. And so for me, I did eight months. I think each time that I do it, I might be able to shorten it maybe to maybe six months before, maybe like four months, five months before, because things will kind of already be in place. But I think for me, it just felt good to take some time, not to have to rush everything, not to have to do everything last minute, to really give myself space. And I think for me also, that eight months time, and again, it's still not until September, so I still have a few more months into it. That time gives me space to also take a step back when I need to right? And to look at things and not to feel like I'm rushing. And so I would say anyone who's thinking about planning something like this, really think about how you work. Really think about what you need to stay present, to keep your momentum going. Do you need a space to step back and not do something maybe for a week or two? Are you someone who likes to kind of be in it for several months and then the next month afterwards, you know, you want to kind of take a, take a break? However you work, I think that'll really inform how much time you give yourself to create something like this. I mean, I think you're saying like so much like good stuff in there, which is with the first time you ever do a conference, there's a lot of wisdom in realizing there's a lot of stuff you're going to have to figure out, right? Yes. And so just allowing space for that instead of on the front end, as opposed to saying, oh my gosh, like almost like, oh, I can put this together in five months, you know? Yeah. But then, yeah, you can probably figure out stuff in the moment, but then at what expense does it come at, right? Exactly. So I love the emphasis also on self-care. And I particularly love that fact of, you know, through this whole process, especially the first time you're implementing, you're reaching out, and then you're stepping back kind of throughout the whole process so that you're figuring out like, was this the best way to do it? Or could I, you know? Which I think is really smart because otherwise, you know, you get, you do all of this stuff, you get to the conference and then you may have like an after conference sort of, you know, analysis, but then you may forget like all the little steps that came along the way, you know? I agree with that. And I think it's a lot of moving parts. You know, one of the things that I've learned as I've gotten older is that months go by, days go by, weeks go by so quickly. And so when you're trying to have all these moving parts together, if you've only given yourself, you know, four months, that goes by so quickly. And then I'm thinking about just all the things you have to attend to marketing, you have to attend to making sure that all of your vendors and your sponsors that they're being attended to making sure the people who are who have bought tickets and who are going to be there, you're attending to them, you know, keeping up with just all the like talking to the hotel and all these things that you're doing. Trying to do that in four months is just really difficult. I would say maybe I gave myself a lot of time, which is probably more than what's needed. But this first time, I'm so happy that I gave myself just some time just to say, okay, this month, I'm really going to focus on this. The next month, I'm really going to focus on that. That way, I feel like I can actually do this. And it doesn't feel like everything is just crushing and falling down on me all at once. 
And I think in order to have a conference like this, you have to give yourself that space or else, like you said, things will just kind of fall through the cracks. You'll just miss certain things. When we first started this conversation and you were talking about the conference, I sensed the passion in your voice. Mm-hmm. And then when you told me you've been working on this for eight months, what I feel like usually happens for a lot of folks is when they have worked on something for eight months, they lose that passion mm-hmm. because they're just in the grind of it. I can tell like the fact that you actually planned this out and you've taken these spaces, like you've been able to maintain that, that bigger why, you know, throughout this whole purpose. I mean, uh, throughout this whole process. Yeah. I wanted to, you said something, which I I wanted to actually like ask you about. So you were saying, you know, you got to figure out stuff with vendors, with the, with the venue, with these speakers, like, so when you're first starting out, like, okay, you had the idea for a conference. Did you like create some sort of sheet or did you say like, I'm going to focus on, like you said, you you were going to focus on certain things, but like, was there some like outline or something at the beginning? Because I could see this be really overwhelming. So at first, no. And then I realized, yes, I need to sit down and actually have an outline. And so after I announced it and everything, I started to think, okay, well, what do I want? How do I want this to look? What's my vision for it? And I think that really helped to inform me on how I was going to organize it. Um, I thought about all the conferences. I mean, as a professional, I've been to so many different types of conferences, online conferences, live webinars, one-day events, four-day events. Like I've been to so much. I've spoken at these type of things. And I always, you know, when you're sitting at those type of things, you say, oh, I'd do this like this. No, I would, if I could do this. Oh, if I was on the planning committee, I'd do this. Mm. And now it was up to me. I am the planning committee. I am on the planning committee. (laughs) Actually, and in those moments, I did a lot of research. You know, I went online. I talked to different folks who have done conferences before and asked them kind of how they came up with their agenda and, and their ideas, reached out to my support group and just said, hey, these are the ideas I'm thinking of. And all of that together really helped me to say, okay, you need to sit down and have some type of organization about how this looks because you've got a great idea and you want it to be executed in a way that conveys that passion, that conveys this idea that you have. And so initially, no, I did not have an outline. But as the time went on, I started to say, okay, this is what I want to look like. This is what I want people to understand. This is what I want people to feel. And started to think about, okay, each month, what do I want to do? And then I hired people. So I hired a coach to kind of help a little bit with marketing. I hired a copy person to help a little bit with copy and help me to kind of convey some of those points that I wanted to convey. Um, I hired an event planner who can kind of really help me in terms of dealing with the vendors and the venue and things like that. And so all of that together just kind of came together as I started to realize, okay, I need help. I cannot do every single space of this on my own. So I feel like uh, for me, this is something I struggle with and I'm getting a little better, which is I have that mentality. I can do everything on my own and I just need to find time or I can be... What made you like realize... Like, you know what, this is a lot smarter if I just like hire the people that are good at those areas instead of me trying to learn how to, you know? Yeah. Well, I think this is, I've learned over time, anytime I take on a new venture in my business, it usually is paralleling with the part of my personal journey I need to be on. And I don't know how that happens. It just usually happens that way. (laughs) And so this time I was just like you for a really long time where it's like, I don't need help. I got this. I can do it. I'll figure it out. It's better if I do it to try to tell 50 people how to do it. Like I definitely had that. And in this space, especially when I went into my spiritual space to kind of really get, you know, some, some clarity and grounding, what kept coming up is you're going to learn how to ask for help. 
you're going to grow in that area as a result of this conference. And I remember poo-pooing that and be like, ah, I got it. I've done this kind of stuff before I got it. And that has been the single most true thing for me that I've learned how to reach out for help. I've learned how to ask for help because there's so much that you have to do and trying to do it all by yourself. I, I mean, I would have burnt out, you know, several months ago trying to do it all on my own. And so I think for me, what I'm allowing is something that we allow, we challenge our clients to do that I'm actually kind of now challenging myself is to let every experience either whether it's professional or not to really teach me something about my own personal journey and allows me to grow into that next space that I need to grow into. So that way something like a conference can actually manifest into my world. Yeah. It's almost like as opposed to just a conference, it's really an opportunity to grow and discover a new area of about yourself. Yeah, it really is. Like you, you, you really have to step out of your comfort zone. I know there's always that saying, you know, about growth happens outside of your comfort zone. And it really does. I like, you know, they, they always sound so wise online when you see the meme, but when you're actually in it, it's very true that you do start to grow. You do start to see yourself differently. You do start to even perceive the world differently because of that growth where I used to think I had to do it by myself. I have surrounded myself with people who really know what they're doing. And so it feels good to be able to say, wow, opening myself up to asking for help has allowed me to create new friendships, new partnerships, has allowed me to see people differently where I can actually see in the world where people will actually do what they say they're going to do or they'll help in the ways they say they're going to help. And for someone like me too, on my personal journey, that's really healing, right? It's not just this growth piece, but it's also really healing to have those things come into play like that. I feel like there are so many different ways we could go with this the rest of this conversation. <laughs> I was like, when I, you know, was thinking about the interview questions, just to like be fully transparent, I was like, oh my gosh, this could literally be like a five-hour conversation. Yes, so, yes. so I wanted to like ask you how you have a number of speakers, mm-hmm. right? Yes. How did you select speakers? I thought about the theme of what do I want to do this first time. What's the whole purpose of this even happening? On my speaker page, I really took some time to cultivate what I was looking for. So each day has a particular track. One is talking about cultural perspectives and parenting, and the other one's talking more about modern perspectives and parenting. And to really think about, okay, what do I think professionals in this field really need support on, really need to understand about these cultural perspectives and parenting. And there's so many different ways you can take the idea of diversity and culture. And so as me and my selection committee were kind of looking at topics, we were thinking, okay, this person who's presenting is what they're they're offering or presenting. Is that going to really help a professional if they go to that session, feel empowered to help a family who might identify in this system or identify with this cultural issue? And that's kind of how we sat down and thought about it. And for me, it wasn't about prestige or followers or anything. It was really about if we look at this person, are they the right person to talk about this particular topic? And that was something I struggled with where it's like, do I get big name people or do I just get people, you know, who do, how do I do this? And I think what I landed on is every big name person started somewhere and that we can't always look for the big name people when there's so much richness and wisdom and vastness in the people that are around us and the people who we talk to every day in Facebook groups and the people who we talk to every day, you know, in, in our networking sessions. There's so much wisdom there. And I wanted to use the Diversity in Parenting Conference 
as a platform for this wisdom and these voices to be shown and to be heard. And so that was another, you know, thing that we talked about where it's like, if the person has some type of notoriety, that's great if they're the right person for that topic or that session. But if they're not, and they are the right person for this topic in the session, let's go with them. Let's use this as this platform to give space to voices that don't normally get to have this platform. It's a very cool like parallel how the topic of the conference is all about, you know, giving a voice and and learning to work perhaps with those who are not represented. And then you're doing that parallel process with the speakers as Mm -hmm. well. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes. And it's hard because, you know, we've been to conferences and what's on the front, you know, the big name people. And so you think about that. And I know, you know, that that's a good marketing ploy. It pulls people in. But for me, I would say the marketing plug, if you will, for this is if you're a professional in this world and you want the space to talk about diversity and inclusion, especially as it relates to families and the way that they heal, then this is the conference for you. That's what I want it to be about. That's cool. How did you figure out like what you would charge for this conference? I think I did the same thing that I did with my private practice where I looked at the budget. I looked at how many sponsors I wanted and vendors I wanted. And then I thought, okay, well, what should the price point be to kind of help everything balance out? So that way I can provide an amazing conference experience with CEs, with people being able to come to a nice venue, with people being able to have a nice kind of experience and it not be like $12,000, you know, for each ticket. And so I did that. And then I started to think about the fact that professional conference, and then I started to do kind of my own research around, well, the professional conferences I've gone to, how much did I spend? And how did that feel in terms of different price levels? So early bird, you know, getting tickets before a certain date, do, 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 do. And so I feel a combination of looking at it logistically in terms of my budgeting and what I want to offer at the conference and how I wanted that to get balanced. And then also looking at what their conferences are, their price points, and how does that look for professionals who are master's level, for professionals who um, normally get CEs at conferences, things like that. And that allowed me to kind of figure out a spot that felt or price points that felt good for me as the organizer. But also if I was coming as an attendee, I would feel like, okay, that's a, a price point that I can add into my training budget this year. Um, so I love how you, one, like looked at the budget instead of coming up with a random number. And then I also love how you compared it to other conferences, but then you also used kind of your intuitive feeling, right? Mm-hmm. Like what would be your experience as an attendee? Because you want folks to be able to come and enjoy the conference, provide a high quality conference, yet at the same time, don't want it to be such a financial burden that they can't, you know, attend. Right, exactly. And I think there are definitely conferences that I'm sure you've seen and that I've seen, which I'm like, these would be great to come to. But when you factor in travel and the conference ticket, you have to really be mindful of that, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. Mercedes, I wanted to wrap up with just this question of like, what would you say in these past eight months, what would you say are the three biggest lessons you've learned when it comes to putting together a conference? So number one, I learned that negative emotions like fear and anxiety and fatigue are a part of the process and not to demonize them or even beat yourself up for going through them, to let them come and to give yourself space for them. I've learned to really get quiet and give yourself enough space to step back, to not rush whatever project you're doing, whether it be a conference, whether it be writing a book, whether it be starting a podcast, not to do that because there's enough time to get it done. And 
nothing needs to be rushed. Like even if someone else is doing something similar to you, you don't need to put it out before they do. Like give yourself time to do it, but do it in a way that won't burn you out. Do it in a way that gives you that space to step back. Thirdly, I think I've learned that when you have a message, when you have a bigger calling to really sit with yourself and say, how do I want to have that manifest? And again, I decided to do it in a conference, but think about how you want it to manifest. Think about, do I want a podcast? Do I want an online seminar? Do I want, you know, an online classroom? And to really give yourself time and space to do that, to let it manifest, to start it to growing, whatever that looks like for you. Yeah, I'm so glad you like said all of those points. I think the particularly... I mean, all of them are really good. The ones the ones that particularly resonated for me is like that whole idea of manifesting, right? Like mm-hmm. there's multiple ways to share or spread our message, right? And it's not like a conference is a wonderful thing, but it's okay. Like if you're listening to this and you're like, man, a conference sounds overwhelming. Like it's not, <laughs> it's not something that, you know, one should feel guilty about. It's more like, okay, this maybe that's not your strength. It's okay. Like I can't imagine putting together a conference, but- right. I, like very, it, like it's amazing to me that you've put it together and that's okay, you know? I also love that you talked about the negative emotions are part of the process and to like learn to see that and embrace them as opposed to avoid them, which mm-hmm. I think we don't talk enough about when yeah. we put out things into the world, all the fears and doubts and anxieties and, you know, things that come up. So I'm really glad you said that. Mercedes, I'm so grateful for you. Where can we learn more about the conference and uh, yeah, and get signed up? Sure. So you can go to diversityandparentingconference.com and that's pretty much the hub for everything of the conference. The conference is also on Facebook and Instagram. So you can check us out there, Diversity and Parenting Conference. And then also if you ever want to email or just talk to me about the conference, if you're interested in sponsoring or anything like that, you can always go to those websites or also email me at diversityandparentingconference at gmail.com. Perfect. Mercedes, thank you so much for doing this and really grateful for you and grateful for this conference you're putting together. Thank you so much for having me. Have a great rest of your day. You as well. Hi there. Hope you enjoyed my conversation with Mercedes. And especially if you are thinking of creating a conference or even thinking about something even smaller scale. I hope that today's podcast session has given you some source, some encouragement and some hope that this is possible. And just two of the things that really resonated for me, one is the importance of being planful and really creating space, especially if it's your first time doing a conference, really creating space to take a step back and analyze things but also creating space just knowing that there's going to be things that you have to figure out because it's the first time. That seems like such a better strategy than crunching everything together and just being stressed out and overwhelmed. The second thing that really resonated with me in this conversation with Mercedes is just giving ourselves permission to manage the negative emotions that often come up with when we put out our message into the world. So it could be the things that come up for us internally, you know, who am I to be doing this? And what if this thing bombs? Those kind of questions, all the way to what other people may say, you know, that, you know, the cost is too expensive, or, you know, oh, there's already another conference out there. Those kind of things, I think, 
one of the things that I've learned, and this has been a painful lesson, is when we put out things into the world, inevitably there will be folks that are critical that, and it's just sort of the nature of the beast. And we can do one of two things with that. We can either have that overwhelm us, or we can, you know, take that feedback and and throw away the things that, that don't resonate for us. Mercedes mentioned a number of tips and resources. You can find that on the show notes page over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash session and the number 201. As we wrap up again, just wanted to thank today's podcast sponsor, which is the Selling the Couch directory. I wanted to actually share like a one specific kind of cool aspect of the directory. So, you know, one of the things that you can do is you can actually connect with other clinicians, both locally, regionally, and nationally that work with the same niches and populations you do or related niches and populations. So for example, let's say that, you know, you may work with couples that are high conflict couples. And so you can actually connect with other clinicians that also work with high conflict couples. So you're probably wondering like, what would be the benefit of that, especially if it's not someone that's like a local referral source? One of the key benefits is one, it allows you to see and learn from each other. So you can actually reach out to them, you can connect, maybe you learn from one another about, you know, hey, what's working for your practice and working with this population and marketing and and those kind of things. Or it could be even something even maybe it's even something cooler, like you connect, you feel like, man, you you really resonate with that person or persons. And you're like, hey, there's a conference coming up, uh, you know, and maybe what we can do is we can present together. And so it allows that connection to happen. You can learn more about the STC directory over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash directory. We're actually doing some pretty big changes on the directory just to be fully transparent. I actually hired an entire development team just to make the process of signing up for the directory easier. And then also, I really want to make the search bar really powerful. And so we're doing some custom coding just to make all of this a lot easier. As we wrap up, I just, again, wanted to say thank you so much for tuning in, and I will see you next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Selling the Couch podcast. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit www.sellingthecouch.com. Hey friends, hope you enjoyed today's podcast session. And if you are in a season where you've been thinking long and hard about launching an online course, just wanted to invite you to our brand new workshop titled Behind the Scenes of a Small Launch to a $300,000 Online Course. You can sign up over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash online course workshop. We try to do a really good job with this workshop. We updated a whole bunch of new material and Some of the things that you'll learn in this workshop are the five key steps to take your course from an idea to generating income, some of my top gear and software recommendations in order to launch your online course, and the top three mistakes that I made with my Healthcasters podcasting course, which I launched back in 2015 and have been fortunate to have over 272 students in that course. Again, you can sign up over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash online course workshop.
So if you've been listening to the STC podcast for a while, or you've been listening to podcasts and you've had this thought of, Mel, I would love to launch my own podcast in order to grow my business. Just wanted to encourage you to check out our free podcasting workshop, which is over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash podcasting workshop. You can basically sign up at a day and a time that works for you. It's 90 minutes. And when I do these workshops or when I record them, I truly believe in the quality teaching, so it's going to be well worth your time. We're going to go through gear recommendations and how to launch strategically and how to think about monetizing your podcast and how to line up your podcast with your existing offers and how to do it strategically and authentically uh, and not salesy and slimy um, and all of those things. So again, the link is over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash podcasting workshop.